Conversations with Cordates. Hello again. Welcome to Convos with Cordates. My name is Dr. (laughs) Anastasia, and we have... Just regular old Sammy. Wow, wow. It's not it's not gonna be regular for long and also you're a PhD candidate. So. Yeah, I was gonna say, please add the, the modifier at the end of yeah. that. If anything, I have lost letters because I've lost the candidate part. But it's so much um, better. It, it is. PhD. Although I'm not gonna lie, um, it did sound better when I was master. Because I've got my master's of science. I did like master. Mm. You know, it kind of gives you a little like BDSM edge. <laughs> <laughs> um, today that's not what we're talking about although unfortunately yeah yeah we'll have an episode on that <laughs> any guests want to come on and chat to us that would be pretty awesome though <laughs> um, today we are talking about um, basically surviving hospitality but the reason why I say surviving hospitality is because hospitality is made so much worse by get this the fucking people okay the people that you have to serve Listen, majority of the time, great. A lot of us, especially millennials, I would say, we have a lot of empathy for when we, you know, walk into a bar or something like that. And, you know, whenever the hostess is like, oh, I'm so sorry, it's going to be a 45 minute wait. I'm like, girl, it's totally fine because I know it's not her fucking fault. Right. Um, However, there is one or two people who are like, I need to be seated right this minute. And it's like, well, then maybe you shouldn't have come in at 630 o'clock. Okay, maybe that's your fault. And to chat to us about this beautiful topic is a person that is currently in hospitality it's mr chim churchill hello thanks (laughs) for having me on i just realized your name and last name is actually a bit of a tongue twister it is yeah 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 i was gonna say titch churchill (laughs) i don't know why it was going to come out of my mouth but i did correct it right before i did and then i talked about it so awesome um welcome to the show uh and just a little bit of background about you. You are also a PhD student. You study uh, paleontologists. I am surrounded by losers. Wow. Um, I'm the only doctor in the room. But See, yeah. as a co-host, I think I can fire you now, right? Uh, but I'm the <laughs> producer. Really <laughs> fair, fair. Um, you can uh, take it up with the CEO. Sure. <laughs> Which is also you. Yes. <laughs> my perfect plan um but tim is also a a phd in paleontology and tim you still work uh at a bar right you're a bar would you consider yourself a bartender a server both what kind of so yeah uh, where i work now i'm a a cocktail bartender Mm. i specialize in um petite cocktails that really accentuate the sort of spirits that we serve but Mm -hmm. we get all sorts in we get our beer drinkers we get our shot beer in a daiquiri, we mm-hmm. get our wine drinkers, we get our gin and tonic ladies, we get oh. them in all shapes and sizes. Okay, excellent. And listen, a PhD is hard to begin with, and a PhD is a 40-hour, if not more, job uh, a week. Why is it that you still kept your hospitality job? I think there's a number of reasons. I think, number one, most obviously, uh, PhD students don't get paid a whole lot. Um, Preach. Yeah, yes. so it's a, it's a good way of getting some hours in at you know, off off peak times and sometimes working at night's actually kind of fun. And mm. for me personally, I tend to stay up late and so hospitality worked out really well for me. So mm. 
I um I've been in hospitality ever since my second year of undergrad, oh, and okay. it kind of went for like a fun casual job mm -hmm. to a bit more of like a semi profession, and mm -hmm. now I see myself as skilled enough that I can actually work at nice bars and make cool drinks and have a bit of a passion for it mm -hmm. after after that number of years. So I just love it. I, I've stayed in it, probably don't need to, but at this point in time, I just have a lot of fun with it. So. Yeah. So I, you know, you said that you actually can do this professionally. So I do want to explain to the audience that Tim has taken courses and passed exams for bartending. Okay. This isn't just like a, you know, seniority thing. You've, you've been in it for a while. Like, no, you've actually taken exams and what kind of certificates do you have? Do you mind sharing? Is that okay? Yeah, so um, my most relevant certificate is something called the WSET. Mm. So the WSET is an international board of accreditation for different expertise in certain areas of food and beverage service. So you have WSET in wine tasting, you have WSET in spirits, mm. which is what I'm qualified in. Mm -hmm. So I have a qualification for tasting, mixing and identifying rare spirits so that's my certification yeah. but you can also do it in wine you can do it in cocktails specifically mm -hmm. it's just an international body that recognizes you as having a certain level of knowledge in a certain area so for me it's spirits so is this what would make someone like a sommelier because i always i feel like oh, it's always joked about that like sommeliers are just people that like wine and then they'll just be like oh it tastes like oak and flowers and it doesn't actually I gotta bring anything. up this TikTok that I found where the caption was my part my husband is a sommelier and he takes a glass of wine and he like swirls it and then he listens to it he puts it to his ear and I'm like I don't know if he's a sommelier or just a faker but hey buddy fake it till you make it like it was so funny but yeah that's but, like, a great question I feel like are memed on a lot but is so I imagine that like having this actual accreditation would make you a sommelier and a W set in wine? So hmm. not not quite. Sommeliers are, are much more for wine. If you do your W set in wine, so W set has multiple levels. The highest level is W set three. So if you can complete your W set three, it means that you're sort of below the master level of wine tasting, but you're, you're very proficient. Mm -hmm. The actual official sommeliership is actually a completely separate thing that's incredibly hard to get into. You actually get way less sommeliers accepted every year than you do yeah, as doctors or as vets or as surgeons. No way. It is one of the dif most difficult accreditations to get in the Damn, entire world. Damn, we should stop memeing on them. But Damn. people colloquially use the word sommelier to describe someone who is employed in a venue to be the wine expert. So they right. aren't necessarily accredited mm. with the official sommelier level. But mm -hmm. since sommelierships become more popular mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there have been um, a number of other accreditations that kind of give you a very similar sommelier title but mm -hmm. aren't actually that that uber prestigious level of of wine knowledge so if you go to a nice restaurant they'll have a sommelier mm -hmm. there's a very low probability that that sommelier is an actual yeah. sommelier but at this point in time you have a pretty high level of, of wine knowledge mm -hmm. to be employed for, for a fancy restaurant if you're doing that sommeliership. Right. But you're right, there is wine especially. There's a lot of uh, a lot of silliness and a lot of fanfare about how you taste wines and how mm -hmm. you identify them. And there's a there's a they're known for having a lot of subjectivity when it comes to mm. how you identify wines and yeah. what flavors you're getting. And and we do the same thing when we taste spirits, you know, we 
we know what's in the spirit mm-hmm. in terms of what ingredients or botanical, but what someone's actually going to taste in that spirit can be completely different. So it's yeah. quite fun to to see what people come up with when they're tasting things. And because our, our olfactory senses are, are part of the same region of your brain that deals with memory, your memories are highly linked to your smell. Mm-hmm. So when people smell and obviously taste, a big component of that is your smell. Mm-hmm. People end up with these really strange memories or, or insights or or very particular brands of scent or something that mm-hmm. comes out of the woodwork when they taste a spirit, and you mm-hmm. can hear some pretty pretty ridiculous ones. So, familiarship it's it's uh, it's a fine art, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of subjectivity involved. Of course, yeah, and I mean, like it's <clears throat> it's like when it comes to to food or anything that's subjective, right? It's it plays on people's tastes, it it plays on people's uh, preferences, their you know, culture, I, their yeah, upbringing. exactly, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I completely understand. Um, now I want to know when you do those exams in those courses and stuff, do you tend to taste a lot? Do you tend to drink? Yeah, so that's the fun part. So normally you'll have an exam at the end of like, for example, we did it for maybe eight weeks. We Mm -hmm. had every week, we had a two hour session Mm -hmm. where we were learning about a different category of spirits. So for us, we'd start with whiskey and then we'd move to rum. Then we'd move to agave spirits, so mezcal tequila. Mm -hmm. And then we do a little bit on, you know, rice spirit or fruit spirit or um, you get the like botanical wines, so mm-hmm. like vermouth and that sort of thing. Oh, I see. You get see. liqueurs yeah. and you get, you, get um, you know. Is that where the, like, the port and stuff would come in? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah. it's like how can you categorize everything that we would loosely define as a spirit? Got and it. And kind of that's the fun of it. But each session, it means you sit with a tasting paddle and as you learn it, you get to taste yeah. what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really important because the whole point of those courses is you need a compared you need a comparison to be able to identify what you're tasting. Mm-hmm, a lot of people mm-hmm. when they like for example when they try whiskey, people often say to me, "Oh, I hate whiskey. It just tastes like That's burn me. of alcohol." Yep, yeah, I hate whiskey. And a lot of people are like that because they've just tasted whiskey once every now and then and yeah. they just taste, you know, really strong grain ho- flavor, yeah. the solvency. They take a huge sip of it like it's a glass of coke and it just burns the <laughs> crap out of their mouth and they they never want to touch it again yeah. and again because it's so associated with memory you have a memory of that flavor being terrible 100 percent. and that's why there are certain alcohols that if you had too much of a fun time with at high school mm. you can never drink again right and that's that same thing so a lot of people sort of tend to to have those reactions but mm-hmm. if you can actually sit down with a couple of different whiskeys and taste them side by side you start to tease out what those variations are in flavor or maybe what the raw material of the spirit is mm. or how it was aged or how it was post distil- the post-distillation process. Mm-hmm. And you start to find that there's this, this massive repertoire of flavors that can exist within a single type of spirit. Mm-hmm. And once people kind of figure out that out, they start to be like, okay, I don't like whiskey that much, but I like the fruity whiskey more than the smoky whiskey right. or, the, or the dry whiskey. And then the snowball kind of starts rolling and they're yeah. like, okay, I don't mind that. And the next time they sort of, pick a, a sweeter whiskey or a sherry cask whiskey mm-hmm. and from then they start to develop a taste for it and you get people who are not whiskey drinkers coming in and starting to drink whiskey and we mm-hmm. see that sometimes in our bar where we someone tastes a, a, a spirit and they really don't like it mm-hmm. but you can sort of tell that there was one of them on the board that they maybe did like mm-hmm. and then next time they come in they start really going down that avenue and that's what spirits is if you want to learn about spirits it's all about the taste Mm -hmm. so you can learn as much objective information about it as you like 
But if you don't know what you're tasting or where, where those flavors are coming from, there's no point. So we okay. really put an emphasis on tasting side by side. Yeah. And you'll, you'll really spot it and you don't have to be an expert. It's mm-hmm. sometimes pretty obvious. And do oh. you do this like for customers at your gin distillery yeah. where you can just get like, a, I don't know, a tasting of certain number of gins? Yeah, definitely. Because what we do is we make a variety of different spirits. So we're making vodka, we're making gin, we're making rum, we're making whiskey, we're making scotch whiskey and rye whiskey. Mm. We also make weird things like we have a fermented honey spirit where we've fermented honey into mead and then distilled that. Mm-hmm. We, we've made brandy. We've made all sorts of weird We even made a Vegemite gin that we called... <laughs> Ooh! Yeah, just, yeah. Did you just like stick Vegemite and just let it ferment? Yeah, we did Vegemite and and wow. hot buttered toast. Gin. Okay, oh, I, that sounds. I gotta ask really a follow up question on this, right? Because the whole idea of fermenting alcohol is that there is a yeast, right, creating sugars. Mm-hmm. Vegemite is yeast, mm-hmm. but Vegemite doesn't really go bad. Mm-hmm. So how did you make it ferment? So, essentially, what you what you can do with gin is that. The difference between making gin and making whiskey is that when you make whiskey, you're trying to create the alcohol yourself. So you get a grain, you unlock the sugars, Mm. then you harness yeast either from the atmosphere or from a specific genetic strain of yeast that you want to create. Because a lot of flavor comes from yeast. Okay. Yeast can actually bring its own flavor. Yeah. And so you can wild ferment things where you let the yeast from the air come in and you don't know what flavors you're going to get. Or Mm. you can pick the yeast you want and it'll give you a specific flavor. Okay. So when you make whiskey, you're trying to create the ethanol to then distill and and isolate for your whiskey. Right. With gin, it's a little bit different. So most gin distilleries will actually buy in really high-grade grain alcohol. Mm -hmm. So they'll buy in 98% alcohol. They'll cut it 50-50 with water, Mm -hmm. and then they'll add botanicals to it and then re-distill it. So then they'll distill it again. So Mm -hmm. all those light flavor compounds, a little bit of the oils, anything that, that can be distilled comes out in the gin or the vapor that comes out the other end Mm -hmm. so when it comes to our Vegemite gin Mm -hmm. we basically just made hot buttered toast with Vegemite on it and then mushed it around in ethanol and left it for a couple of days oh damn and then it just infused the flavor because alcohol's great at infusing flavors Mm. it's the universal solvent after Mm -hmm, all so mm -hmm. with plants it breaks open cell walls Mm -hmm. it's great at just any bit of flavor that's in there Mm -hmm releasing that into the into the solution. And then once you distill it, some of those flavors then come through the spirit at the end of the still. So that's how we made that. So we're not relying on it as the source of the sugar. Yeah. We're more using it as a flavor additive. Interesting. Because the alcohol is already produced for you. Some right. gins, they will make their own alcohol. Yeah. But you, when you make alcohol, basically the still, the taller the still, mm-hmm. the higher percentage alcohol you can create. Okay. So you need a really tall still mm. to create 98% ethanol. I see. So I don't know if you've ever driven across the Anzac Bridge from the city to, to Balmain kind yeah, of area. Yeah, yeah. There's two really tall copper stacks there. Mm-hmm. And they're just on the Piedmont sort of dock area. Mm-hmm. And they actually used to belong to the Colonial Sugar Refinery, which bought the orig- the very first gin distillery ever in Australia. And they repurposed that distillery into a pure ethanol distillery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since closed that down. But those massive copper still mm-hmm. vents are still there and they're you know 40 meters high and that's how high you need them to create that high proof ethanol so most gin distilleries don't even bother with that right they buy it from the source it's really pure it's all aussie mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. you know all source from local grains 
and it's just really high quality ethanol and then yeah. they just work from there and then a gin still can be shorter than a person like it's only a tiny little still you don't yeah. need much to create a lot of gin whiskey stills are huge because you're creating you know you're getting a low alcohol beverage basically beer and then distilling that to then get a portion of the alcohol whereas if you buy in a big jug of alcohol mm -hmm. You cut it 50-50, you double the volume, and then you distill it. You've yeah. got heaps. So it's quite a different process. But yeah. you can add any flavor. There's a gin uh, made out of green ants called the Green Ant Gin, and they'll actually put little green ants in the gin for you. Oh, no, the poor little ants. I know. <laughs> but the ants make a delicious acid. Yeah. It's sweet. And it is. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. It's grassy. It's got a nice little citrusy zing to it. Mm -hmm. Perfect for gin. So the ant <laughs> gin was, was really popular. Um, the first were, were the Nordic Labs up in... On, in Norway to create the ant gin, and then mm. an Australian brand got a hold of it and made the green ant gin, which is a real oh, classic okay. Australian wow. ant. Damn, you'd, you'd have me fooled that you're doing like an alcohol PhD. I know, you I know? was going to say, this is like a good episode of like drunk science. Exactly. I'm so yeah. much. Well, that's distillation. It's, it's biology, chemistry, and physics all thrown into one, mm -hmm. and it results in you getting drunk. So <laughs> that's kind of the essence of life. Well, I have me. a follow-up question, right? Because it's, it's basically you've made it like... A, a part of, of your, or at least a, a pathway of your career, right? Because, you know, you, you take all these exams and everything. Has it ruined drinking for you? Has it, in fact, enhanced it instead? Yeah, so it's definitely not ruined drinking for me. It's, okay. it's For me, it's opened up a whole world of understanding of of not just the different spirits, but also mm. just how the process works and how... Each spirit is intertwined with, with, you know, what raw materials exist in the country that it's made, mm -hmm. the cultural aspects that, that limit what can and can't be defined as that certain spirit. And the more you go down the rabbit hole, the mm -hmm. more you realize there is to learn. Um, you know, I've done my certification of level two, and we sort of learnt a good summary of each of the spirit category, mm -hmm. categories, but you just pick one of those categories and you can go down another whole right. massive rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, and then you get the history that, that, you know, a lot of our history that, you know, the, the modern civilization that we know stands on resides on a backbone of using spirits as a form of currency. Like, mm. you know, most of the Australian economy in the early 1800s was rum. Yeah. People were buying and selling things with rum. Yeah. There's, a, um, there's an entire history of crazy events that occurred in Australia mm. just based on the economy of rum. So Piemont was bought for one day's worth of rum. Mm. Um, a man sold his wife for two days worth of rum. Sold um, his wife? Oh sold my God. his wife. For only two days? Yep. And that this was back when rum wasn't even rum. It was just any distilled spirit. So it was probably some gnarly moonshine made out in the backwoods of nowhere. <laughs> But it was in such high demand and rum was just such a staple that it, it fueled the economy. Mm -hmm. um, they, there was a, it was a funny law that they were trying to change because they wanted to advocate for people nine years and younger to mm -hmm. get the same daily rum allocation as the adults, which was nine standard nips of rum uh -huh. for breakfast. Oh my God. And this was a really big social issue that the nine-year-olds needed their daily supply of rum. America that would equal would the adults. <laughs> well, was it like the the adults were trying 
to then take the rum from the nine-year-olds or like actually give the the nine-year-olds rum? The nine-year-old was already drinking rum. They just wanted more in their allotment. They wanted to be like everyone else. They didn't want to get shortchanged on their daily rum dosage just because they were nine years old. So being nine didn't hold you back from being a chronic alcoholic. But being a chronic alcoholic was all part of being alive. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're consumerist capitalists in this society. Mm -hmm. They were rum alcoholics in that society and they built this nation god damn that the, is insane the closest our government this. was ever actually overthrown mm. by anyone mm. was the rum revolt where a group of nine-year-olds disgruntled yeah i'm sure some of them were some of them were probably nine-year-olds they basically got really drunk decided that they were being ripped off with the rum tax. They didn't want to pay so much tax on their rum. Mm-hmm. The government was just skimming it. They were like, yes, everyone loves rum. Everyone's selling their wife for rum. Let's take our cut. They had had enough. They called it the Rum Rebellion, and they nearly overtook the Parliament of Australia. It was the most significant coup that our nation has ever experienced, and it was all because of rum. God damn. Alcohols has a very rich history it oh, seems it, like it sure does and you, you only have to it's not just australia you go to any country mm, yeah. you know gin one third of households in in london used to have their own gin still um Damn. in the 17 and 1600s which is why london used to catch on fire all the time <laughs> actually the great fires of london yeah were fueled by the fact that every time another house caught on fire there was yeah. a one in three chance that there was a steel kettle full of highly flammable alcohol in there oh my god and yeah so oh like Okay, so th- I guess that's something I, I don't understand is is the drive that people have for alcohol. And maybe that is my naivete when it comes to alcoholism. Like, I guess, you know, I don't know what, what it's like to have such an addiction to alcohol that, that you know, it's debilitating. Um, because that, the one story really, really sticks with me. And I believe it was in London um, where it was, oh, no, no, no. Because prohibition was in in North America, America, right? Yeah, yeah. So during prohibition, um, there was a whiskey distill. It wasn't a whiskey distillery, I guess, but they were still making whiskey for another purpose. But basically, it blew up, or, or or something, or it started leaking, and it was all down the streets. And people were so desperate for alcohol that they would drink it off the streets and. So many of them died because it was methanol. It turned out to be methanol. But people were so desperate for alcohol. And it's crazy how that is not an anomaly. And that is not like, oh, one story in history. No, there are multiple stories with the similar theme. Um, And I think, you know, you said it, right? Like alcohol is a currency, was a currency, Um, you know, Although now, to be fair, alcohol is freaking expensive. Like now it's 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 a privilege to drink, I guess, in some way, even though like we associate like alcoholism with someone who's poor or maybe perhaps someone who, you know, has a very rough life and things like that. No, no. Alcoholism is also a fucking rich person disease okay alcoholism alcohol does not discriminate there are people who are rich and have alcoholism and there are people who are poor and have alcoholism it's just whether they should they grab from the top shelf or the bottom exactly exactly and you know in places like australia i find alcohol here is fucking expensive and i thought canada was expensive but 
Australia is three times the goddamn price of alcohol because I've lived in Europe and their alcohol is goddamn cheap. Okay, I would go to the grocery store and I would buy a two euro wine and it was delicious <laughs> in like in France and Paris and it was delicious and it was, you know, it, yeah, like it wasn't high tier, but it, it was fine. And then in Canada, if you buy low tier wine, you might as well be drinking vomit to begin with. Like, it's that disgusting. Um, and then here, I mean, I guess maybe I'm just a, a more of a grown adult um, and I don't necessarily drink to, like, ha- get hammered or anything like that. But even, you know, even, even if it, like, it's going to be a big party night, I'll still kind of go for, like, a mid-tier alcohol because... I am starting to appreciate the taste, right? And I feel like, you know, Tim, you've kind of reached that a a tad bit earlier, like appreciating the taste of alcohol. And on that, I want to ask, do you tend to be now like an expensive alcohol drinker? Yeah, you can ask my girlfriend how that's going. Um, There's a a large, getting larger library of of rare Australian whiskeys at my place. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's that's very much the case. I think mm. with alcohol, the main the main thing for people introducing to it, especially spirits, it's just it's just the alcohol burn. It's just not understanding how to how to drink it properly. Yeah. And, you know, when you when you approach alcohol, the way you approach it is you you get your nose used to it first. So you you, mm. you wash it past your face. You don't take a sniff in it. You just you just let it flow up your nostrils. Try each nostril because each nostril opens differently. Mm. So you have more airflow through one and more through the other. You'll smell different aromas through each mm-hmm. nostril. You then approach the spirit slowly. You dip the end of your tongue in the spirit. Let it wash over your your tongue. Mm-hmm. Get used. to At what the... point do you hear the alcohol? <laughs> Ooh, that's after ten drinks. Then it starts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, then the, yeah. Then the liquor starts doing the thinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have then, to... you're, then you're that level three exam. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That, that's when you have to start drinking with the grain of the liquor, not against the grain, because that's when you start hearing things. So you got to be careful in that regard. But but yeah, I mean, I think. You're actually seeing a lot more of an appreciation, at least in Australia. I can't mm. really speak for overseas, but you're getting a lot more of an appreciation for different kinds of spirits. And there's mm-hmm. there's more of a nuance about what it is that you're actually having as alcohol mm-hmm. beyond the function of let's just get pissed. Yeah. And you're seeing the same in beer. I mean, everyone's drinking IPAs and different like creative varieties mm-hmm. of, of ales, mm-hmm. whereas 20 years ago... You had Carlton, or you had Tui's, or you had VB, mm. and God forbid you had 4X. And that was those are your options. <laughs> and if you drank a pale ale, people at the pub would look at you like you had three heads. Really? And now, everyone's looking for the newest, weirdest beers. I mean, I've seen yeah. Key Lime Sours and and Banafee Pie yeah, ales. The, and the beer the beer bar that I spoke at for mm-hmm. Pint of Science, yeah. that one had it had like... Five different, I want to say even more than five, like maybe 10 different plasma screen TVs that Mm. had just lists and lists, like two or three rows per screen of different beers and ciders that just for all of these different, and they had all the notes and everything. And I was like, I've never seen this amount of variety of a single drink Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, no one blinks an eye if that's wine, do they? No, it's it's culture, it's an agricultural science, it's got history. Other spirits do too, Mm -hmm. but they're just not, they just haven't had the popular representation in our modern culture that wine has, and they haven't been as as popular for as long. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think wine is really popular because obviously wine's the favorite drink of Europe, and Mm. you know, most of Western society, we're, we're Greek 
Roman, you know, a lot of we, a lot of what we take for our societies from those eras, and they love their wine, mm-hmm. and we're heavily influenced by that, you know. And at the moment, we get these random trends of of favoring a certain spirit or a certain type of drink, and then mm-hmm. it comes and comes and goes. And wine and beer are kind of just those fundamental staples. Like everyone will have wine and beer, but beer hasn't seemed to be that variable until quite recently, where you people mm. are starting to get really creative with beer. Yeah. Like they would with wine. And again, mm-hmm. it's that thing of like, if you have a really good agricultural supply chain, yeah. you have passionate people at every level of that supply chain mm-hmm. creating new and exciting products, mm-hmm. then you're going to experiment. I mean, if you have only two companies making hops and it's the same two types of hops, then all the beer is going to taste the same. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, some of these guys who produce hops, they're producing tens of thousands of varieties of hops every year. And they have competitions of these different varieties of hops. Mm-hmm. The grain is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we're developing our new sh- own strains of arid adaptable rye grain in Australia, mm-hmm. which previously we've never grown rye in Australia. And this is a rye grain that's perfectly suited to Australia's arid environment. And that adaptation actually carries flavors. And you taste that grain compared to the normal rye grain. And you can taste a real significant difference in that grain that actually reflects how that grain has adapted to its environment. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about alcohol and alcohol production, it really is an agricultural art. Yeah. And you're just going from raw ingredient to enjoyable, consumable product. And mm-hmm. like you are saying before, alcohol is so deeply threaded in in humanity. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the, the paradigm of what came first, the bread or the beer. And oh. the current consensus is that it was beer. Really? Beer was invented before bread. And it was just that harnessing of fermentation. What do you get out of fermentation? Well, for bread, you can unpack the starches in grain and mm. you can turn a really rigid, well-protected seed full of complex starches into a really easy-to-eat and digest delicious loaf of bread mm-hmm. that's full of air pockets that the yeast was creating during fermentation. Mm-hmm. And that gives it flavor. I mean, mm-hmm. bread's just a sponge of aromas, technically. But the fossil record, or the archaeological record, suggests that they both came around about the same time, and with them came agriculture. So the foundation of all agriculture on Earth, that distinction that drove us from hunter-gatherer humans mm-hmm. to agricultural people, may have been on the very back of beer. Damn. And the bread before beer hypothesis is is pretty strong. Yeah. And we can see it because you can't get rid of alcohol. I mean, they've tried it. Prohibitions in all sorts yeah. of countries. We had our own prohibition in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, it decimated the industry did nothing for the moonshine producers and the mm-hmm. bootleggers. They loved it. They got <laughs> yeah, rich. That's yeah. always what happens. Yeah. You can't take alcohol out of the hands of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even in the most tyrannical authoritarian societies, you still have alcohol. I mean, Islam's probably the only one that doesn't involve alcohol, but that's mm-hmm. because of like very strict religious reasons. You're right. And that's an anomaly. I yeah. mean, you go to even like the Polynesian islands, they're drinking alcohol that they ferment and they ferment that alcohol using their own saliva because there's amylase in our saliva, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing in Japan. The like uh, shrine priestesses mm-hmm. would chew rice and then let it ferment for many years, and that was like the sake for God. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, and it's all about yeah having that. It's it's a ceremonial thing. It brings mm-hmm. people together, and yeah. there's just something about it that that just makes us as humans not want to put it down. Yeah, and obviously some people never put it down yeah and obviously it's it's a problem because it it, it makes you forget about the uh 
the pain of existence mm-hmm. in a way. And mm-hmm. that's an experience shared by rich yeah. and poor alike. Yeah. And it exactly. also not only makes you forget about like the pain of life, I think it also makes you forget about like social cues and like how you should act in public. So like I imagine I've I've never worked in a bar, but I've you know, I've seen I've seen lots of T V, I've I've been to a couple of pubs, I've seen how rowdy people can get after a night out. Mm-hmm. How is that dealing with, in terms of, from like a, a, a hospitality, like service perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, it's an interesting point because people do change so much when they're drunk and some people a lot more than others. And mm-hmm. you and I think you're right. We've relied on that as a, as a societal lubricant for a long time. And especially people who struggle with being out there and being um, extroverted, alcohol is, is very important for a lot of those people. But Obviously, everyone has a point where they become drunk enough that they start to revert to their infantile stage. And that's 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 actually makes it kind of somewhat easier dealing with drunk people than it does dealing with people on other drugs because you're just dealing with a toddler. So however you would deal with a toddler is how you actually deal with a drunk person. And it's the same rationale. Mm-hmm. And they can understand reasoning, but it's got to be simplified. You know, it's like, why can't I get a drink after the bar has closed? Because we're not allowed to. Why? That's not fair. I saw them. They still have drinks. Yes. But if we give you a drink and you leave this venue and kill yourself, I get fined and mm-hmm. I go to jail. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, but I'll pay the fine. Okay. The fine is $50,000 if I get caught serving you after hours. If you want to give me that as a tip, I'm very happy mm. <laughs> to pour you another drink. Mm-hmm. But that's not how that works. You yeah. Know? So dealing with drunk people, if you're good at dealing with toddlers, then you're good at dealing with drunk people. Oh, so damn. hopefully I'm well prepped for fatherhood because I'm, I was gonna say. I've dealt with a lot of drunk people, a lot yeah. of different uh, lot of different demographics, and it, they're all the same. You just kind of got to pander to that that infant human mm-hmm. in yeah. there that, that's crying out for another drink. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I saw a, um, there's a comedian, Gabriel Iglesias, who mm. was talking about the time he came to Australia, got so drunk, unbelievably drunk, most drunk he'd ever been in his life because the drinking culture here is wild. Mm. And um, he was saying that his manager knows how to handle him, knows how to speak to him like a toddler when he's drunk. And he says, like, oh, when he's that drunk, his manager just goes, if we don't leave now, the Maccas is going to close. Oh. <laughs> it's like, i got to go. <laughs> exactly. Honestly. you, the, the What you want the most in the world, the, that'll get you moving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a fine art, but you, it, you start to learn a lot about humans at the very fundamental mm-hmm. level when you start dealing with drunk people because it's kind of like that thing of, like, you know, the dumbest person in in the crowd is representative of how the crowd acts in general. It's yeah. like it can't pander to that lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. And being being drunk is the same. Now, so I wonder. I um, uh, one of the jobs that I had in in hospitality was I was actually a security guard. Oh yeah. Um, I know my body really shows how much I work out and how good I was at at kicking people out. But actually, on that, I was good at, at kicking people out. And sometimes, what would happen is, um. Other, like, you know, the people that I'd be working with at the same time, they would, the men would actually ask me to kick a man out because a drunk man would be significantly more 
kind basically to me than they would to another man because they would almost see it as like a pissing contest right so you as a man who works in you know the hospitality and sometimes does have to either kick people out or stop serving them do you find that there is a bit of more animosity towards you oh definitely i think there's that's a it's a big thing because i'd say when people get drunk they kind of revert to their most primal mm. you know and, and especially when you get someone who's being really drunk and unruly in a bar there's usually there's usually there's some sort of insecurity or there's some reason why they're escalating to violence mm. and there's usually a chip on their shoulder and they're, they're usually trying to prove something so if you're another mm. man and you try to obstruct them or try to violently deal with them yeah you're only just going to escalate the situation right. so a lot of security mm. guards they're the most gentle people on mm -hmm. earth. They're massive. Mm -hmm. And so there's that physical threat of like, don't mess with me. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll ruin you. But at the same time, of I'm not going to escalate this. And even if you're in my face ready to punch me, I'm not going to show you signs I'm going to escalate because mm -hmm. that just fuels the situation. Whereas you deal with, you get a woman as a security guard. Mm -hmm. There's that innate level of respect of, you know, striking a woman security guard has much more dire consequences culturally striking. especially absolutely yeah. and the people that you're with like yeah if your girlfriend's there and she's drunk too and you're both a bit rowdy and you get in a fight with a security guard it's like ah oh, you know my boyfriend you know he's mm -hmm. a, a wild mm -hmm. guy if you start wailing on a female security guard you're a piece of shit mm -hmm. and yeah i mean it it's it it's not that it should be like that it's more just that People do revert to their their bare their bare bones, and mm -hmm. and you find that when you're trying to de-escalate situations, you can't meet them head on, you can't take what they're saying to heart or literally. Yeah, I've seen that before uh, in where I've worked, where employees will get offended or they'll get of pissed course. off or they'll get driven to a point where they're becoming aggressive, mm -hmm. and you just see the situation go completely out of control, mm -hmm. and you end up having to call the police. And it's just not what you want because exactly. that person's just being drunk and silly. Yeah. They don't want to have the police call on them. They don't want to get knocked out. Mm -hmm. They don't want to knock anyone else out. Yeah. But when they're drunk, they they start to lose control of those inhibitions. And if there's some pain or if there's some, some distress that they're having in their life, mm -hmm. that'll come out. And our job is to try and make people safe in mm -hmm. both directions, the mm -hmm. people who are spectating and the people who are escalating because, yeah. you know, we want... We want everyone to be to be safe. And when you're dealing with alcohol, you can't afford not to be safe. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you must have a lot of patience, Tim. Yeah, I do. I, I, like, that's incredible. I mean, I've never had to, uh, when I was a security guard anyways, I've never had to escalate a, a situation. And, and like you said, we were actually taught not to escalate a situation. It was just kind of like either go to your superior or if you feel in danger, call the police. Um, but, you know, thankfully, that's never, ever happened. Again, as I mentioned, I, I think I was in a, in a position of privilege due to my gender that I've identified with um but yeah I you know I I I, I think as a as a person who identifies as a male I, I would find it almost like anxiety triggering to be like oh no like there's this dude that I now have to deal with who's like you know trying to show off and stuff and well, he's actually, really hammered I, I'm curious though because I, I understand the idea of like men wanting to fight other men mm -hmm. but like do i feel like women might do the same thing do you find that that happens a lot oh really of, like women also 
being quite aggressive because you're a man. Definitely. Really? Definitely. And and women tend to, I don't mean to generalize, but women tend to because they're not, they're not trying to escalate it so they get into a physical altercation. Mm. They're trying to almost convince you that, that you're being unfair to them in a certain way. So I get a lot of women who will escalate, mm. they'll start shouting, and they'll be like, you're discriminating against me. Or like, oh. I didn't do anything wrong. It was them, and it's not me. Right. And it's like, but I just saw you like spit on the floor. Like, I just yeah, saw exactly. you do something so blatantly yeah. that that's why I'm cutting you off. Yeah. And it's not. It's this thing of like, no, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. Mm. You know, I'm... I get a lot of people who are like, my friend's a bartender or I own a bar back home or oh I know what I'm doing God. and you don't know what you're doing. And it's like, but if you knew what you were doing, you would understand why I'm cutting you off yeah. or why I'm kicking you out. I find the problem with when females tend to escalate mm-hmm. is that then if they're out with other men, yeah. then they will be very quick oh, to I aggression. See. Like they won't... Showing, be showing signs of ramping up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then if they feel like the the female who is escalating mm-hmm. is in any danger or anything then yeah. they act irrationally mm-hmm, and I've seen that mm-hmm. happen where I, I used to work down at Coogee, um and we had a few regulars who loved to come in and drink until they were absolutely pissed mm. and then stagger out and we generally were pretty lenient with them just because we knew what they were like and we knew that they they weren't often violent Mm -hmm. but sometimes they would just get so drunk that they would just start going at the security guard and they wouldn't stop and it was just like in their face Mm -hmm. pointing poking pushing and it's it's funny because well there was one instance where a female pushed the male security guard Mm -hmm. and he stood his ground and before he could even make any move he just got punched in the face <gasps> by by her whatever dude that she was with. Yeah. And he wasn't showing any signs of aggression. He was kind of just watching it. But he just saw, all right, she's engaged in the contact. I have oh. to back her. Bam. And then mm. he... And um, it didn't I mean, end well for him, actually. Points for loyalty first. But, like, at the same time, don't hurt people. Yeah. That's what happens. Exactly. Yeah. That's, like, foolish loyalty. Yeah. 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 Like, he's... He, because he would rather, I guess, spend a night in jail than he would go home and hear from her, like, oh, why didn't you protect me? Like, oh, why didn't you, you know, back me up? Or something like that. Because, unfortunately... I, I have seen that happen, you know, where it's just like, like, why don't you like back me up when, you know, when he said that I had too much to drink and it's like, because he, he he's doesn't right. want to go to jail or, <laughs> you know, he's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and there's a real primal thing of feeling like as, as a man that you're supposed to protect, even if there's no, it's not a moral question at mm. all. And also that if you don't, if you miss your opportunity to prove that you're a reliable p- protector, mm-hmm. you can't take it back. And that if you have a partner and you're supposed to protect them and you didn't, they'll never see you again the right. same way. So yeah. it's, it's, it goes quite deep and it can hit the very lowest levels of insecurity in mm-hmm. some people. Mm-hmm. And it can end in, and with alcohol, it can end in violence. It can, and yeah. And it's unfortunate because usually when you track it back to why everyone's fighting... It's something absolutely ridiculous. Exactly. That you would never fight yeah. over in in the light of day. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But that's dealing with drunk people. It's, yeah. You know, toddlers fight and they break, yeah. they break them up and you're like, what are you fighting about? Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to move on from something a little less serious, okay? And, and I would like to hear the Karen stories because in, in my opinion, I, I don't think Karen stories are necessarily that serious. It's just people being um 
entitled entitled yeah I was gonna say pompous um that's the only word I can think of at the top of my head but very entitled um to the point where you know something is blatantly obvious and they shouldn't do it or you know whatever and they still do so um I like to think of Karen's as like the universal unifier like when people see those videos that get posted online, everyone, literally everyone is like, yeah, she was in the wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Um, Like, okay, and, and Karens don't necessarily have to be people who are the most vocal. Like when I, I worked in retail and for me, in, in retail anyways, I think I had the worst Karens in hospitality. Like when I was a server and a hostess, those were the worst people because I think you're also dealing with hungry people. Mm. And I think that really makes people angry on on an edge. Exactly. But in retail, the only people that, and I still categorize them as Karens, were people who would come in like five minutes before you closed and they would grab so many clothes and then they would just trash the dressing rooms. And it it always happened on, for some reason, just the weekday. Mm -hmm. And it was a specific group of young women they look like teenagers to me and they would trash the goddamn dressing room with five minutes left and the thing is you can't turn people away mm-hmm. right because the customer is always right um but you can't turn people away because technically you're not closed yet mm-hmm. right so all you can do to cover your own ass is say we close in five minutes and they'd be like okay and then they'd go through and they'd grab everything and then they'd take everything off the hanger. And it's just like, uh, to me, they could have been stealing, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's exactly what they were doing. Because, yeah, we had a limit of how many things that you could take into the dressing room, of course. Um, but, like, you never know. Yeah. And it was the worst pe- And then they would never buy anything. They would never buy anything. They would just trash the dressing rooms. And then they'd be like, okay, okay. And then they'd just leave. And I'm like... <laughs> like yeah I, I, to me that's so wild because i feel so bad like if i went it, it's not even just retail but like i would go to the grocery store mm. like i show up to kohl's i look for the thing that i'm trying to find they don't have it mm. i buy something else rather really? than leave empty-handed because really? i feel so awkward oh wow i wouldn't go that far although like even before having worked retail, after trying something on, I'd put it back on the hanger. Mm. I, 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 you know, and I understand that, like, technically it's the retailer's job to, like, put everything back on the hanger. And sometimes I would hate it when people put things back on the hanger because they do it wrong. But, like, I, I... You appreciate the effort. Exactly. I appreciate the... I'd always appreciate the effort. I'd never put that person down for, you know, or, like, think in my head, like, oh, you did it wrong. Like, no, it's just like, thank you. I, I'd appreciate that. Um, but, like, even now I still put things back back on the hanger. Um, but, like I said, working in, like, the service industry and working with, with food and drink, I feel like you typically get the worst of the worst and it's not because the people are necessarily the worst but perhaps the situation has made them lash out so i want to know your horror stories tim yeah i'm, I'm sure i've got countless um <laughs> yeah just just touching on what you guys have just said about mm. about that it's almost like you get some people who have either had their own experience in the mm. service industry mm-hmm. Or just have the kind of proclivity to be guilty about how they inconvenience other people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like that. And yeah. it's, a lot of people have a, have varying degrees of that where sometimes they're 
get way too guilty about things they shouldn't be guilty about and they mm-hmm. worry too much. And then you get all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you have just the users, the people who are just used to using other people for stuff and mm-hmm. there's no there's no give back, there's no consideration. You're going to get those people and yeah. they're frustrating. And you're right, in, in my industry... Mm-hmm. Um, especially when alcohol is involved, mm. people tend to bring out their, their nastiest selves. Yeah. Um, I think it's that, it, yeah, it's that feeling of they, they deserve it or that there's that, you know, there's that understanding of, oh, because I'm coming into your venue and I'm spending money yeah. and I think your place is a little bit too expensive for my liking, mm. therefore you ought to cater to me mm-hmm. that extra mile. Mm-hmm. And what I want, you give me. Because if you don't, I'm going to talk shit about your business. Yeah. I'm going to ruin you. I think that's come along with, with the age of the internet and, yeah, and technology. Definitely. And random definitely. people who know nothing about the industry can just mm-hmm. leave a review and it can completely screw an entire business. Yeah, That definitely doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get it too. Yeah, But I do um, love the people that are like oh, if you don't cater to me, I'll just take my business elsewhere. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> point. Please do. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, I, I guess I think a lot of those people come in with the mentality of the customer is always right and I am the customer. Um, I wonder, like, for in the times that I worked, because for me uh, that, that was quite quite a while ago, right, that was during undergrad um, that I worked in in hospitality and uh, I, and then I worked in in the retail during my master's but like I vowed to never go back to hospitality because of how people would treat me I thought retail was significantly better but I'd never go back to serving people food and drink because of how disgusting people would treat and it, this would be like not just just like people who, who just came in sometimes it would be regulars and that was the worst part because it's like but you you like and it, the regulars they would be the worst because it would be passive aggressive mm. you know it wouldn't be straight up it's like in in, in canada anyways and, and i know in, in america and stuff it we'd work with tips right mm. you'd have to get tipped and the regulars are just like oh my god anesthesia oh my god i love you oh my god you're the best and then they'd leave me a quarter mm. and a quarter is 25 cents yeah like what did i do wrong and god for like and and you know i've had it in the past where other patrons would notice other patrons would notice either how much tip i'm getting or how i was treated and other patrons would come up and be like here's five dollars for tip because no human should be treated like that yeah right and i don't understand where when those people come in and it's not just like the customer is always right but it's like i am to be catered for you are my butlers god yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly the customer is god and it's like you know i don't know maybe they were like i really like the perspective that you have tim where it's like oh you know maybe they were having a bad day i genuinely didn't think that way because it's like you're treating me like shit Mm. um but now come to think of it it's like maybe they're treated really badly at home and then they come here where it's servers or you know or bartenders or whatever and these people we basically can't say what we really want to say because we don't want to get fired. Yeah. Because a lot of us 
we need the job. Yeah. We don't want the job, we need the and job. And they know that, and it's exactly. kind of a little a bit of a game. It's like, mm-hmm. I can come in, and I've got the power because I've, I'm the customer. Yes. And, and especially with some, some regulars, I like that, where it's mm-hmm. like, I come in, I'm your... They get this idea that they're supporting the business, mm-hmm. and the business relies on them mm-hmm. because they're a regular. Yeah. And so, therefore... They don't have to have the same standards as other customers. Yeah, and you know we've we've had that too, where we have regulars, and it's like they'll start just sitting wherever they like. And so mm. where I work, it's you, you arrive at the door and mm-hmm. you get seated, and people who book get the, the nice tables because they book. Yeah, and we know what numbers they're dealing with, and then mm-hmm. people who walk in don't. And you know we get people who who come in quite regularly mm-hmm. who will just expect that they get all the best things. They're having to book. Or without wow. having to do any of that, and it's like, well, I don't understand how you think. Do you think that way? If you liked our business and mm-hmm. you're trying to show your support by coming back, mm-hmm. you should understand that your behaviour should get better and better, or at least stay at that level. It shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't start treating it like we're your personal cafe, because mm-hmm. we're not afraid to tell you to fuck off if you don't treat us with mm. respect. Because yeah. it's a respect industry, and I think yeah. for me, I've worked. I've worked at. The, the, a student bar where we'd have three and a half thousand person parties and mm-hmm. you know couldn't serve glass and they're all 19 year olds and they yeah. were doing disgusting things on the couches and you'd walk oh. out on the floor at the end of the night and it'd be like a bloody crime scene oh in terms God. of the amount of narcotics and, oh, and blood no. and sometimes piss like just <gasps> you would be shocked at what would go on on those big student oh, that's parties disgusting. Oh. so I've been on that side of things to now working in a bar where Generally, most people are really happy with their service. Mm-hmm. They're really happy with their drinks. They're really excited to come back and show their friends. Yeah. But even in that environment, you will get people who just have this level of either it's a, a idea of their own superiority mm-hmm. over you. You're just a, a hospitality worker, mm-hmm. so you should be glad that I'm coming in to spend my money here. Mm. You know, you get people who. We get people who come in and they love to flaunt to their friends. So they'll be like, you know, oh, get me the most expensive whiskey on your bar. I don't care how much it is. I don't care what it is. Just pour me three shots of that. Actually make it doubles. And then they'll drink there for like two or three hours. Yeah. You know, being rude to everyone, talking to their friends, and then they won't leave a tip at all. Uh. Or they just won't even be generally pleasant. Yeah. And it's this idea of like, I don't, I don't know how they see themselves. Yeah. But when I see someone like that, all I see is you're so you're super insecure. Yeah. And you this is this is obviously how you've learnt to treat people because yeah. you've been treated like this at some point. Mm-hmm. And to me, like people do get upset and offended by it. Mm-hmm. But I've kind of done it long enough where I see those people and I'm like, listen, I'm just gonna kill you with kindness because wow. the worst way to f- the worst way the best way to deal with people like that who are trying to provoke you or trying to be rude, yeah, is just to be overly nice to them and make yeah. them feel like they've targeted you for no reason Mm -hmm. and that it's unwarranted and people tend to melt away and we get customers who you know you get some of the karens they come in and they're they're pissed off when they walk in the door like it's your job to bring their happiness level up yeah they're they're fucking ready to to win straight off the bat Mm -hmm. um when we get them all the time and you just have to kill them with kindness sometimes and it almost makes them feel a bit silly and also makes them look silly in front of their friends if they Mm. if they complain about something and then you get snarky about it yeah then you then look you, like the the bad guy. Exactly. It's like, you know, if you're, you're playing sport and someone dog shots you and you retaliate by punching him in the face, the ref's going to see that, aren't exactly. they? They're not going to see the initial shot. Yeah. So it's the same with hospitality. 
people who are like that are generally either showing off mm-hmm. or there's mm-hmm. there's some sort of chip on their shoulder or insecurity. And often I find the best way to deal with them is to actually just be really kind to them and mm-hmm. give them the information they want, but still be stern. Like don't yeah. don't put up disrespect. Yeah. But most of the time those people they actually don't realize they're being like that. They think that's yeah. them being normal. Really? I, I, it's just I think their tone. It's just like a matter of like, um, and not just like a matter of uh, tone or, or, you know, that's just how they speak and mm-hmm. it depends on how someone perceives it. But yeah. also I think it has a lot to do with upbringing because I think there's a lot of people that grew up and were never like, I think this happens a lot in no offense to Australia, but like Australia has a lot of single sex schools, right? Mm. And so I think that, you know, when you get into these sort of homogenous little bubbles, and this Mm. happens in America a lot based on where you live, Mm. you get into this homogenous little bubble of people that think like you and talk like you, and you've grown up with this particular mannerism. And then when you go out into the world and you think that's the way that everybody acts all the time, they don't think Mm. about how that's perceived as wrong because they've they've had that surrounding them their whole mm-hmm, life like mm-hmm. maybe their father acted that way or their mother or you know they grew up surrounded by that type of mannerism mm-hmm. and they think that that's correct wow i really don't like you guys um making me have compassion for karen <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you yeah compassion for karen bias is probably pretty low yeah and it's easier to sit here on the podcast and talk about the karens when they're not right in front of you yeah giving you exactly. the, the look yeah because um, yeah. during the time oh yeah of it happening terrifying. but for so i uh, like I think I agree in term. I mean, I I agree, but I, like I said, it's it's hard to do it where it's like a rude Karen or an angry Karen, but a stupid Karen. Now mm. that shit, I have no compassion <laughs> for. You are just a dumbass. Yeah. Can you like, can you provide an example? Yeah. So for example, if you um like just during my hostess times, right? Um, uh, a person would would come in and uh, let's say they're like. They come in during rush hour and they're like, okay, well, we, we, ha- we need a table for 11. And I'd be like, okay, well, um, it would be a 45-minute wait. And then I'd be like, oh, well, there's a table right there. Uh, okay. And that's a table for four. Um, are you guys oh, going to yeah. sit on each other's like, laps? And then when they're like, they got seated be- ahead of us. It's like, oh, yeah, because they, the they were a table of two. All the time. All the time. Those, that same person would be like, when and they get seated? Oh, because it's a reserve table. Or... Or and the worst ones would just be the ones who would just sit down at a reserve sign. Like just there is in. a reserve sign. Yeah, just sit down because we also had a place where it, there was a big sign and said, "Please wait to be seated." And they would just come in. They would sit. It would either be a reserved sign or it'd be a whatever. And I'd be like, "How many?" And they'd be like, 11 And I'm like, "Okay, you fucking idiots! You're literally sitting at a table of four. And I'm like, "It's okay. We'll just grab that table when they're finished." Oh, really? They literally just got their drinks. Yeah. Where? What are the rest of your guests going to do? Yeah. You know, or people, where people wouldn't consider <laughs> children as people. Like they'd be like, oh yeah, we're we're a table of four. I'm like, oh, okay, two adults, two kids, and they'd be like, no, a four adults. Okay, so where the fuck are you putting your kids? You're not holding them on your lap. I know you're not. Oh, okay, well you need a high chair. No, he's too old for a high chair. Okay, so you're gonna make your child stand for the hour, like 
what are you gonna do it's with like, no them? he'll just run around the venue and Which knock over do. the ladies yeah. and oh kiss my other god how many <sighs> we don't let kids in our venue it's the best exactly well, I mean, yeah, that is the amazing. reason why to work at a bar she, yeah. yeah yeah exactly um uh, like but uh, you can't blame the children right no, it's, it's, it's bad the parents but it's that lack it's, of consideration and just the lack of understanding of how it works if exactly. they understood how it works they'd understand why that would be disruptive mm-hmm. we have it all the mm-hmm. time where We'll sit a table of three on a table of three, and they're lucky to even get a table of three because it's mm-hmm. busy. And then we get a booth, which is like the best seats in the house. Yeah. That we sit six to eight, and people will leave that and they'll go, oh, cool. And they'll run over it and they'll put their stuff there. And they'll be like, then they'll almost defend themselves, like, no, I want to sit here. Why can't we sit at the booth? I brought, we had one lady the other day who was like, my friend has leukemia, <laughs> and she is just got out of there. And she did this whole big, like, sob story oh my god I was like okay like that's that's fine but so you're expecting me to kick a person a table who's booked for that table yeah who's coming in right now maybe they have leukemia yeah <laughs> exactly they could have leukemia and ass cancer like they could have it all how would you know can i just say as someone with a disability I've like never in my life have I met someone with a disability that would pull that shit. Exactly. Uses it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That would use it to get things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I think that's pretty. And that's scummy. when you know it's when they start doing the guilt trip. You're like, you're full of shit. You're just mm-hmm. you're just starting the yarn. And mm-hmm. You're you're obviously someone who tries to manipulate people into getting what you want with just random crap. Mm-hmm. And at hospitality venues, you can't say to them, "Be like, I don't care." You can't say exactly. that. You'd be like. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Look, we'll try and do our best. Like, if you just stay here for a little while, we'll come yep. back. And you're just like, oh, I'm, never, I'm not coming back. I'm just mm-hmm. leaving there. But mm-hmm. you you got to do what you got to do as as the staff member. Mm-hmm. But there's certain points where you just get so frustrated. And, yeah. and as you said, the, the the dumb Karens, they tend to piss you off a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're dumb and they're also righteous or they're like they know it all. So mm-hmm. we have we have people that come in all the time. This might be a bit of like a a misunderstanding sometimes when it comes to serving a drink mm. people think that the more ice you put in your drink the more it's going to dilute and so that if you only put a few cubes of ice in your drink it's not going to dilute that's not how it works oh no yeah that makes it's by science yeah so if you have a drink that's got ice in it yeah. you're trying to keep that at zero degrees right, right? Yeah. the more ice you have in it the more you're balancing that temperature ratio of staying at zero degrees, mm-hmm. if you're putting only a few ice cubes in, mm-hmm. that water is going to start melting that ice straight away. Mm-hmm. And your hand oh, is going to start melting it. And that's when you dilute. That's when it dilutes. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, I don't want so much ice in my drink because I don't want it to dilute. It's like, no, no. Filling your ice, your, your glass up with ice, mm-hmm. that keeps your drink fresh and cool and doesn't Tasty. dilute it. Yeah. And it, that's how it's supposed to be served. So it's fine if you ask for no ice. But we sometimes get people who are like, I don't want any ice, and then you give them a drink that's like half full because obviously the ice, yeah, like Archimedes, like yeah, your, exactly. your bath rises when you jump in. Yeah, uh, my drink's not even full. And so we're like, okay, so we take it back and then we fill it up with more tonic because obviously you're not getting more exactly. alcohol. But that's what they're trying to do. Like, oh, now it's really weak. Now I can't taste it. It's like, can you make me another one and fill it up, but make it actually balance? I'm like, do you want a double? Yeah. No, I don't want a double. Well, I'm sorry, but. Legally, a standard drink is a 30 mil pour of spirit. Mm-hmm. If you don't want ice in your drink, that's fine. Yeah. If you don't want more tonic in your drink, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you can't just ask for a gin tonic and expect it to be iceless, not diluted, <laughs> as strong as it would be, but also more Two alcohol. Like, it's like, yeah. well, exactly. You can't win. You can't win with some people. And sometimes I'll try and argue with you and you're like, 
oh, maybe that's really interesting. It's my understanding as a spirits professional <laughs> who fucking knows what they're talking about that this is how this works. Mm-hmm. And people choose to listen or they don't. But you just never know. I mean, yeah, people like that. We've had people who they can be a bit like... It's almost like, again, it's that toddler thing. They start they start exploring with their hands. So you'll be at the bar, and we had this the other day where oh, we, when we this. make our cocktails, like making cocktails, it's a whole process, it's like uh-huh. making food. Yeah. So it's not oh, just... Oh, yeah, I've seen bartenders at work. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes, like, you got to, like, work out for those cocktails. Like, the way that they're, like, shaking them oh, all yeah. over, like, oh, my God. Covered in sweat, covered in sugar. Yeah. leak and they burst and they right. go all over you. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so... It's and and the way you make cocktails is normally a cocktail bartender, a good one. We'll be making at least four drinks at once, if not mm, more. So mm-hmm. there'll be times sometimes where I'll have twelve drinks in front of me that I'm making at once. Damn! And that's a lot of mental exercise. So you have to really put it all in order. So yeah. you want to make mm-hmm. the drink, make the drink in a way that nothing goes warm, nothing mm. over dilutes, mm-hmm. nothing. You know, like you want to make sure that each step is logical so that you arrive on a table full of drinks that are all made correctly and mm-hmm. they've, they've all arrived at the same time. Right. And so when you start off making a drink, you make the garnish first because the mm-hmm. garnish is just something you chuck on at the end. But sometimes it's finicky. You know, you've got to thread some olives on a skewer mm-hmm. or you've got to cut, um, like the, the citrus peels can be quite yeah. hard. You cut the citrus off and you've got to slice the pith off. And mm-hmm. so we as bartenders, we make all our garnishes first. Okay. So we get a drink list, go, yep, those are the garnishes, make those first, and then we start on the drink. Mm-hmm. And then we put our garnishes on a little garnish tray that sits up on the bar. Uh-huh. And the other day we had a lady who <laughs> noticed that there was garnishes sort of in front of her. She was sitting at the bar. Uh-huh. And she, she grabbed it and picked it up and goes, oh, what's this? And we're like, oh, that's a so-and-so. I think it was a, I think it was a stick of thyme or something. Mm. Like, oh, that's a stick of thyme. That's part of our garnishes that we're making for this drink that we're making. So he took the time off her, threw it in the bin, grabbed another bit of time, put it on the thing again. Mm-hmm. Cool. Kept going. Oh, what's this? Grabs it again. Oh, that's finger lime. And he goes, oh, puts it in her mouth. Oh, my God. Eats it. And goes, oh, it's really bitter. Puts it back oh. on the garnish tray. <laughs> and, I'm, and we're like eight drinks deep in the middle of a busy Saturday oh night with like gosh. 10 dockets on the board. Like every minute you lose... You, it's a domino effect. Yeah. And so if you lose a minute after, between every drink order, the person who's the 12th drink order, their drinks are 20 minutes exactly, late. Exactly. So yeah. you've got to be on top of that. Yeah. And so in the middle of making these drinks, we had to throw all the garnishes <gasps> out, wash the garnish tray because the old lady spagged on it, and then put it back out and then cut all the garnishes again. By that time, we were halfway through making the drink. So half of them got over-diluted, so we had to chuck them out oh, too. So you end up with like $60 worth shit. of waste. Just because some idiot Karen just starts <laughs> grabbing just things off the bar and, and eating them and drinking. It's like, what are you doing? It's, it's so wild because it's not even like when they're drunk. No. It's when they're completely sober. Yeah. And I see this all the time. So in America, like a lot of fast food places, like quick lunch options have like a set like buffet and people will serve you mm. buffet food. Like um, we were talking earlier today about Chipotle. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people like just with, I don't understand what possesses them in their brain where there's clearly a barrier between them and the food mm. and then they decide to go no I'm just going to reach over and s- basically stick my hand yeah. in the food mm-hmm. that I, is everybody's food mm-hmm. and say I want this one and this mm-hmm. one and that one yeah. and it's like why? I, I don't understand yeah. what what is going on in your brain that mm-hmm doesn't associate that this is clear and mm-hmm. I can see through it when you're mm-hmm. pointing at it. Mm-hmm. And that now we're going to have to chuck out the what could be hundreds tray. of dollars. Exactly. Like the food prep and the time. Exactly. And, the, and 
And that's the thing is if you work behind the scenes, you know what is required in all that. And even if mm. you haven't, if you've worked in an industry that kind of is a service-related industry... Mm-hmm. Or you just have some empathy. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Or, like forethought. Yeah, yeah. You know? But or like, consideration. this is child rules. Do not touch things don't that touch, are don't not. Don't touch, don't snatch. Exactly. Yeah. Just do not touch. I, I, like, I learned this as a child, I, you know? If it's not mine, do not touch. Otherwise, ask permission to touch. Period. Yeah. And this is a adult woman who is just working her way through the goddamn garnish tray. Like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? I, I, oh, my God. And after being told the first time what it was and yeah. not actually having the ability to process, okay, that's the garnish tray that is going into other people's yeah, drinks. other people. Maybe I shouldn't just grab it and eat it. Oh, my God. She might as well have, like, reached into the maraschino cherries tray and just, like, popped one in. Exactly. <laughs> she might as well have, like, licked the inside of the rim. Oh, yeah. No. We should just point it, plant her down the end of the bar, and every time we have a shitty garnish we're going to throw out, we'll just exactly. chuck it in her gold. Yeah, she yeah, can yeah, stand exactly. there like a baby bird and eat all the garnishes she wants. <laughs> compost okay. yeah exactly i i would like you to settle some some anxiety for me so okay. this is something that I, I wonder if you think that this is um you know a- adequate or or not i guess um so sometimes i you know drinks are expensive right okay especially in australia when you get a cocktail a 20 dollar cocktail so this has happened to me before and i'll tell you what how i want to act and how i actually do act so i'll pay for a 20 dollar cocktail and i'll taste it and fuck me i do not like it but i will sit there and i will just drink that whole fucking thing regretting my whole choices how is it is it allowed to send a drink back because because the, the way that i have the reason why i sit there and chugging it is well hey i chose it Hey, I paid for it. I got to deal with the consequences. So I'll sit there and I'll drink it. But I have seen people send their drinks back just on the premise that they do not like it. But I am not sure of the real uh, etiquette. Etiquette. Sorry, that's the word. I kept on saying adequate, didn't I? Etiquette. Uh, So what is the correct etiquette? Is it, hey, sorry, tough luck? Or can you actually send that drink back again a different drink? You can absolutely send the drink back. What? My whole life is a goddamn fucking lie. As long as you haven't drunk the entire drink and there's a little bit left and you're like, actually, I don't like this. Oh, yeah. I've I've seen that. We we encourage people. And and that's the thing of coming into a cocktail Mm. bar. Most people don't know their classic cocktails. Mm -hmm. And most bars go beyond the classic cocktails. They make their specialty cocktails. They make some weird shit. I've been to bars where there's mushroom garum and there's, you know, escargot, essence and random shit in cocktails. If you get a cocktail and you're like, I do not like this, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely fine to say, hey, I don't like this cocktail. Can you send it back? Because the cost of the the booze and the ingredients in that is maybe a couple bucks. Mm -hmm. But you're going to walk away from that bar with the experience of that bar was conscientious enough and kind enough to me as a customer mm-hmm. that they were ready to make a drink that I did like. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, I had a drink at that bar that I did like. Mm-hmm. And even after mm-hmm. the first one I didn't like, I got to get, pick another one that I did that I did right. like. Because you're not going to order another cocktail if you have one you don't like. Exactly. And you're forced to drink it and you're like, great, I spent $20 exactly on this it. shit. And I don't, I don't want to order another one because I don't want it to happen again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, nah, if you taste a cocktail and you're like, I'm sorry, I, re- I really don't like this. Is there any chance I can exchange it for something else? Yeah. Most 
good bars will be like, yeah. absolutely, what is it that you like? Damn. Most bars will ask you if you're not sure, like, do you like it sweet? Do you like strong? Do you like yeah. bitter? Do you like... And most people are able to give you a couple of things. Like, I like fruity and sweet. And you're like, great, I've got the exact thing for you. Mm. How does this sound? Mm-hmm. And almost 100% of the time, they love it. Yeah. yeah. And and it's it, then you keep the customer forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so never be worried about. It. I've okay. done I've done that myself, and yeah. like, and I think it's no, hard. It, it depends though, because if you're like, uh, you know, my American brain, I'm like picturing, you know, the American Karens going mm. up and being like ordering a Bud Light, and then saying, "I don't like this. I want a different beer." Mm. It's like well, I didn't make it, so yeah, you're stuck so, yeah with that's your fault. <laughs> like you knew what you were ordering. Mm. That's your fault. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of like a nice, you know cocktail bar mm-hmm. where you know all of the drinks are specialty crafted by the bartenders mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. think that that's a much more appropriate environment for that because okay. if you're at a nice restaurant and you got a dish that you couldn't eat yeah you'd you'd call them over and be like hey i'm so no, sorry no, no, i, I don't would, like this i would 100 percent just chuck it down i have eaten food with hair in it i oh really yeah oh, i would send that back really and yeah. uh, no it's just like Fuck. Or actually, fuck. I would probably just sit there and not eat it and then say, thank you very much. This was lovely. <laughs> it is it is anxiety-inducing. But at least from the perspective of the service industry is that it's way more embarrassing for the server mm. to hear that that's gone wrong or to even hear that you don't like it. Like, yeah. that's awful. Mm-hmm. And so if you say, I don't like and you be nice about it, and you're like, I really don't like this. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. Is there any chance I can get something else? Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity for them to be like, yes, great. You mm-hmm. want something else? Let's find you something else. Let's make you happy. Because, mm-hmm. again, if you come back to that bar three times, then any f- food or alcohol that you wasted in your time there is completely paid for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you're an ongoing customer, especially if you're going to bring other friends and tell other people mm-hmm. about it, that's how businesses work. That's it's not true. about how much you know, how much booze you wasted or I had to chuck out some pasta yeah. or there was a hair in this so I had to chuck it out. Who cares yeah. about that? Okay, you know what? I'm going to try and take that approach. Like, yeah. obviously with kindness. Yeah, some I, people know. don't take it well, but that's that's their problem. If they don't take yeah. it well, then they don't, don't, come back. don't work for a good yeah. business. Yeah. You're either way, you're not going to come back if you spoke up or if you, like, if you spoke up and then they were rude to you or if you didn't speak up and you didn't enjoy the food. Either way, you're not coming back. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the service that's industry. So people yeah. don't realize how much of it is actually the service, mm-hmm. not just the food. Yeah. Um, because I, you can get good food anywhere. Yeah. I want to throw back to something that you mentioned earlier. You mm. talked about um, like people tipping, mm-hmm. which to me, coming mm. from you know North America, we have tipping culture. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Australia, I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to do math in my head every single time I go out to eat for dinner. I do love not tipping in Australia. It's fantastic. It's I, awesome. I, but like at the same time, I feel a lot of guilt about it because Mm. I know like I'm so used to this culture of Mm -hmm. like you know thanking someone for the good quality of work that they did Mm -hmm. and so I want to I want to ask your opinion on like finding the right balance but also I want to ask has anyone because this we're talking about Karens has anyone been a Karen with like tipping culture here I think because of what, because like in Australia, we get paid pretty well by mm-hmm. the hour. Mm-hmm. People are pretty well supported. The work conditions are a lot better. So people don't have the power to be Karens in that financial sense of withholding right. tips. But but also at the same time, absolutely. I think it's one of those things in Australia where in America, you're expected to tip 
even if you had crap service yeah. because yeah. you're the one who's for some reason forced to pay the employees. Yeah. How that is a thing, I have yeah. no it's idea. It's a game of chicken between the owner of the business and the customer. So the owner who's going business... to pay them minimum wage? Exactly. Why doesn't the owner of the business have to pay staff? In what other industry do you crowdsource yeah. the staff? Anyway, so that's ridiculous in America. In Australia, the idea is if you give exceptional service mm. and the customer has the money to give a tip, mm-hmm. then give a tip. There's no hard feelings if you don't give a tip. You're not like expecting a tip. No one's expecting mm-hmm. a tip, mm-hmm. but everyone likes to get a tip. Mm-hmm. And even if it's nothing, it's just kind of like it's the gesture of like that person mm-hmm. wanted to give a tip to us. They they obviously like their experience, especially mm-hmm. if they didn't have to give a tip. Mm-hmm. But you do get people who we get a lot, we get a fair bit of Americans in our bar. Yeah, I was like, gonna say, do you automatically tip? hear the American accent and then go, "Oh yes, I'm getting a tip." <laughs> we do, but we're also like, we also want to see the look on their face when they find out they don't have to tip. Yeah, they oh, can yeah, if they like. It breaks people's minds. They're like, it does. "Oh my gosh!" Oh uh, yeah, Amazing. it's like, wait, you don't make three dollars an hour? Uh huh. <laughs> Yeah, so men they they would drop their pants if they find out how much you actually make an hour because minimum wage in Australia is eighteen dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you don't get paid that good in America unless you work for Costco. I, yeah, exactly. Like that's nowhere near minimum wage, let alone like so minimum wage for servers is different than the actual national or state or you know whatever state. minimum wage it's even less for servers because with the idea of like well you're gonna get the rest of the money through the through the taps mm. like it's it's disgusting and it creates this really weird like I, I lived in america for three years i only lived in ohio so probably not a great diverse sampling but <laughs> what i noticed is america their their like hospitality voice it's very disingenuous. It's mm. like this play. It's this role they play yeah. because they're forced to. So yes. you don't actually. You're not talking to them. Yeah. No. You're talking to this extra nice, fluffy, bubbly persona yeah. that they're forcing to get their tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just soul crushing. I 100% horrible. agree. Yeah. I just came a few months ago. Just came back from America, and I didn't realize how much I did not miss that way of service where it's like you just got your food five minutes later how is your food another five minutes later how is your food then they just are you ready for the bill like, yeah i love being you feel left so alone rushed while out. I exactly i love australia in that you, sometimes you actually a lot of the times in australia you walk up to the till to pay the bill mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. And I love that. You get to leave whenever you want to and you actually feel like you had an excellent dining experience. And that's not to say that the servers in, you know, America and Canada are bad. We are told to do that, yes. right? Because then you will get the Karen's like, you didn't check up on me. No, and that's the thing. Like, uh, so I use... Um, I'm very much used to, like, looking at reviews online. Mm. But the the websites that I know of when I when I first came to Australia mm-hmm. were all American websites. Right. Mm. And so I'm looking at things like TripAdvisor and Yelp and people don't often post on those mm. in Australia mm-hmm. as a, as native Australians. Yeah. And so I'm looking at it and I'm noticing a lot of people are like, "Oh, I hate the service. Like they didn't they didn't, you know, check up on us. They they just yeah. like they Gave us our food and went off and did whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and then we had to pay our bill ourselves at the till. Yeah, and, and I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize how much, like, Americans have been, like, ingrained to yeah. expect that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I I guess because of the way that I grew up, like, we very much prefer, of like, just leave us alone. Yeah, fine. exactly. But, like, there are people that grow up with that and expect that now. Mm-hmm. And then when they come here... Mm-hmm. They act like jerks about it. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. 
Okay, so um, the one thing about Karens is that Karens aren't necessarily old people, right? They're not like boomers or Gen Xers and stuff. Um, they Sometimes. can, in fact, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think that that's kind of the image that we get when we think of Karens. Um, but the three of us, we teach, and we tend to teach. Um, younger people, right? And and they they do happen to be you know Gen Gen Zers. Oh God, yes. I, it's so confusing to me because in Canada we say Z, not Z, but it's Gen Z. And there was a TikTok, and it's just like you know you're a millennial because you say Gen Z, and it's like fuck, I just say Z because I'm a Canadian. <laughs> but apparently that also shows how old I am. But um, on that there are ten there. There does tend to be some Karens when it comes to teaching, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's my new, basically, hospitality job, right? And it is. It's, it's a, a bit of that. You're still, you're catering to students in some way. But it's, you can't kick them out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my worst experience with Karens is actually during teaching because in the service industry, it's kind of like they come in maybe for an hour, maybe a little longer and then they leave. Right. And then they're out of your life. And then you're out, they're out of your life with teaching. They can be in your life for quite a while. And I do want a big disclaimer. A lot of the students I teach, most of the students I teach 99.999% of the students I teach are just the most wonderful just the most wonderful students and and I love teaching I really do I find that the worst comes out in those students when it comes to their marks yes and I don't understand so when I was younger I and and I like I'm sorry I guess I was taught this as a kid and not everybody was but you can get a lot more with kindness than you can with cruelty or meanness. You catch more flies with honey. Exactly. Right? So when a student, and most of the time this does not happen, and most of the time students will come in and be like, hey, um, you know, I think there might be a discrepancy in my mark. Um, There's, you know, whatever. This was the instructions. This is my mark. Do you think you can help me out? And I'm like, hell yeah. And a lot of the times... I'm already going to be like, I'll give you a mark just for being nice. You know, I I will look for a mark to be nice, basically. But then there are the students who are are demanding and they come over and they go, you did this wrong. Oh, really? Because not only am I going to do it so right, you're going to lose marks. Okay, because that is how petty I am going to be. Now, I must say it hasn't happened recently. The worst Karens I have ever gotten and this was a very long time ago was during my master's I subbed in for a demonstrator so I was the sole I was the supervisor supervising demonstrator I actually helped the professor run the course we would pick things like to, to how to course coordinate whatever so I and this was like my baby I love this course it was biology of sex I'm a sexologist not sexologist sorry I'm a sex <laughs> biologist I study reproduction this was my course I loved that course I knew this course inside and out and I subbed for her and the idea was that the students needed to create a seminar. Sorry, they had tons of weeks, right? So they were going to present us a short seminar to the class, and then they were going to have a discussion during that tutorial, right, with the class that they were supposed to lead. 
And the tutorial was 50 minutes long, which means they have to have activities for at least 40 minutes, right? Like I'm not looking for you to run the whole 50 minutes, but a good portion of it, right? This was a third year course. So we're expecting quite a bit of these students. Mm -hmm. So I subbed in to mark this group. And this group, they maybe, maybe talked for 15 minutes. And I think that's me being generous. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the way that they ran a discussion was they ran a quiz. One of those like quizzes where you can sign up on your phone. Like Kahoot. I think, Kahoot. I was going to say it's like a quasal. <laughs> yeah, it's like Kahoot. Mm-hmm. They ran a Kahoot. Can they, I just... Uh, yes. It should be quasal. Yeah. It <laughs> Thank you. should be quasal. I think it should be quasal. So they ran a Kahoot with only three questions. And the questions were, did you like this article? Like, because they, they, they took a scientific article and, the, and they presented it. That was one of their discussion questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the second question was like along those lines. And then they finished. And I remember I looked at my watch because it, maybe it, it was less than 30 minutes. I looked at my watch and I said, is that all? And they turned to me and they said, yes, that is all. And I said, are you sure? And they said, yes. And I went, okay. And I gave them barely passing marks, right? I gave them, I think, like, all together. Damn, at least you passed them. Okay, yes. I gave them a 53 because I was being generous. Now, what these girls decided to do was they decided to send their demonstrator for that course, their original demonstrator, this entire email berating me being horrible saying how like that person should have marked them because she would have you know you would have been so much kinder and blah 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 I cannot believe that she gave us this terrible mark and blah blah blah. and she forwarded me that email and I forwarded that email to the professor and I went and I sat down with the professor and I said this was their seminar and he goes so they should have failed and I went yep they should have failed but I didn't fail them. I gave them 53. And he goes, but what you're saying is that they, he's like, I would have failed them. And I said, yeah, I know. He goes, you're kinder than me. And I said, yeah, I know. He goes, what would you like to do in this case? I'm like, I would like to reply. So I replied to them. And I said, this was the seminar that I watched. Your 15 minute seminar. Um, This is what you covered. Your discussion um, was these questions. I then asked you twice whether you were genuinely finished, both times to which you said yes. And then I said, I spoke with your current demonstrator and I spoke with the professor and both of them said that they would have failed you. And that's it. I sent off that email. They never sent anything back. <laughs> like, because what are you going to say? Oh, like, yes, please fail me because I'm idiots. Like, you know, like, what are you going to do? No, they didn't. Um, I did end up failing them because you can go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and they couldn't write another one back because at that point, not only did I have the professors backing me, the professor backing me, but I had the other demonstrator backing me because even she was just like, wait, that did that? That's all. That sounds terrible. They mm-hmm. were supposed to do a whole up to 50 minute seminar and discussion mm-hmm. and they lasted maybe 30 minutes and then they send this nasty email like what did you think was going to happen? But that was the thing is I just I just laid down the facts. I didn't have to put any emotion in that email. I to this day I reread that email because I love 
how well I had written it. And even the demonstrator <laughs> at the time, she's like, so nicely written. I'm like, I know. Because all I had to do was just lay out the facts. Mm-hmm. I was the worst Karens I've ever dealt with, including the service industry. But see, this is the thing about Karens, is that they they want to talk to the manager all the time. Yeah. But the manager's on your side as the server. Most of the time. Okay, yeah, most of the time. Yeah. But, like, most of the time, the manager's on your side as the mm-hmm. server because mm-hmm. they know that you know what your job is. Exactly. And they know that you are going to follow the mm-hmm. expectations of your job. And that also sets a good manager from a bad manager. Is A, a good manager will have your back because you're... you're you, Nobody wants to upset a customer, okay? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants a confrontation with a customer. A lot of the times, your hands are tied. I remember when I worked in retail, a person was trying to return a sale item. And I said, well, it's right there on your receipt. I can't return the sale item. It says it on your receipt. That has a, a stamp, final stamp, final sale, nothing. I cannot do anything for you. And then... Uh, she's like, well, I need to speak with your manager. So I called my manager and I genuinely thought my manager was going to have my back. And the manager went, miss, I'll make an exception for you this time. And you should have seen the way that that bitch glared at me. Because then they just, like, they just keep doing it. Then they're they going to keep doing learn. it again. And they've undermined you. So you're and just like, I'm never trusting my manager again. Exactly. I'm never gonna, and you're just like, I don't want to work here. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. So a manager needs to have their employees back because A, that's how you keep your employees. And like, that's how you prevent other Karens. Because mm-hmm. now that person's going to come back and be like, did you know that you can return a sale item even though everywhere yeah, on their receipt on everything? to all of their exactly. other Karen friends because exactly. they're all in a Facebook group together, guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're just going to keep doing that mm-hmm. forever. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to students, it's it's a really tough line, I think, because you have to see them again. Mm. Right. That is the, the, the thing there is like you have to see them again. But now even just like saying this out loud, why is it that? I am embarrassed for them and I am embarrassed for them that I have to see them again. But they're clearly doing this like mid midway through the course yeah like, and it's not the first time they've done it i think mm-hmm. people like that and you see it in hospitality you see it in teaching mm-hmm. it's people who have learned that the way to get their way is to escalate mm. and to act over the top yeah. and almost bully you with the degree in which they're ready to escalate things mm-hmm. and in this day and age you can just go above whoever you're dealing with's head continuously like i want to talk to the manager and i want to talk to their manager mm-hmm. and they pander mm-hmm. to that and I think that just reinforces people like that. So I feel like you're getting a, a, a larger instance of it both in the older generations mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the younger generations of yeah. if I just chuck a tantrum here and I make myself too much of a problem for them to want to deal with, mm-hmm. then I'm going to get my way. And conflict is stressful for most people. Yeah. And these people, they thrive off creating conflict. So mm-hmm. that it feeds them. It gives them more energy if they can create conflict. Mm-hmm. And they know it's wearing you down. And that's why they do it. And it, it works once or twice for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing as dealing with the toddlers. I mean, we're all just toddlers who either got the right lessons or didn't. Yeah. And these sort of people just, the tantrum is, is the way to, to get their way. And if yeah. they get their way enough, they carry that on forward in life. And this day and age of having students that do that and mm-hmm. get students that can threaten your job security mm-hmm. by reporting you for shit that yeah. they don't even have to really substantiate and then yeah. you're on the defense yeah. and i just yeah i think it's absolutely ridiculous and the only way to deal with those people is as what as what you did just be like no emotion here are the facts mm-hmm. if you have any 
direct, you know, issues with these facts or you don't mm -hmm. think what I've said here is correct, mm -hmm. con contact this person or yeah, send exactly. me a list. Here's the professor. And I'm not going to bite at your big escalation mm -hmm. thing. I'm not going to yeah. play into your personal shit. I'm not going to play into your tantrum. And, and Karens do it as well, where it's like they get angry or they say mm -hmm. they're going to report you or... I'm never drinking any of your gin again. <laughs> Four pillars is better anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they love they love that shit. But at the end of the day it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, like, exactly. I wish you all the best. But like I, I don't understand because it's it's common sense to me, right? That if I'm just kind to this person, I will get I will basically get my way. Not that I'm like maliciously trying to get my way or, or anything, right? But if I'm just kind to that person, because I have, I have gone to professors being like, hey, this is the exam that I have. You know, I didn't do so hot. Can you explain to me why I got this answer wrong? And I remember that professor sitting there being like, you know what? Um, or, you know, he'd be like, oh, it's because, you know, you didn't get it like this. And I said, oh, well, you know, I, I wrote it here. I thought I did because I wrote it like this. And he goes, oh, oh, well, I see it from your perspective now. Here, let me give you more marks. Yeah. Right? Like, I was so dumbfounded that I walked away with, like, an extra five points on an exam or, or an assignment or whatever just because I spoke like a human to human with that person because as soon as a student comes up to me right away with aggression I'm going to retaliate with okay let me pick your assessment apart mm -hmm. let's sit here one-on-one -on -one and let's pick this baby apart yeah, because the, I will find ways to bring it down about, like professors is that they they do it because they I mean some they do it because they like teaching exactly and so when you come with questions they want the opportunity to teach more. Yeah. Just like in the service industry, if you say, oh, I'm sorry, I really don't like this drink, they mm. want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. They want to provide you with good service. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, it's so bizarre that people just have that really backwards way of thinking. And I think like, I was just thinking this thought of like, the difference between spoiled and entitled is age. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. you have spoiled toddlers. Yeah. And then entitled adults. Mm -hmm. And it's just, the, it's the same behaviors, mm -hmm. just in an older body. Yeah. And, and you can't unlearn those things. So if you're a no. petulant toddler as a toddler. And you're never taught as a toddler yeah. not to behave you that can't way. Be an, you can't be uncarined. Mm. Yeah, there's exactly. It's a, a lifetime membership. Yeah. <laughs> but see, now... <laughs> this like, boat has no off-ramp system. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, from both of you, what is your advice for people that... You know, because I, I genuinely, thankfully, you know, knock on wood, I haven't received those kind of students necessarily that, like I say, I can't handle, right? That ones that really get under my skin, thankfully. Um, but I know people who have. I know mm -hmm. people who get attacked for their character by the students, mm -hmm. right? And it's like professors are getting attacked by for their character, for their intelligence. And I I, it genuinely blows my mind that a first year undergrad has the audacity to speak like that to a lecturer or a professor. Just dumbfounded. Mm -hmm. So what would be, you know, your your advice for those kinds of situations? Like how how personally, how would you handle them? How do you deal with a Karen? How do you deal with a Karen? How do you deal with a Karen in uni? Yeah. 
Um, well, f- the way the way I handle Karens in in way the way I work and the way I'd probably recommend other people mm. is that they're looking for a reaction. They're looking for their escalation mm. to be rebounded off you, and they're waiting for how that affects you. And it might affect you in a number of ways. You might get angry too, or you might get anxious, or you might get upset, mm. or you might just get like avoidant. And any one of those responses, that that's what they're looking for. They're looking for some sort of response. And mm-hmm. the best response is just no response. It really is. Really? It's just let them scream into the empty, uh, you know, empty hallway. And usually people like that, they're, they're going, running off emotion. They're running hot. And usually if you give them time to reflect on how they've actually acted mm-hmm. and you actually let the situation be readdressed after the emotion has kind of worn out of it on mm-hmm. both directions, mm-hmm. they end up way more ready to, to accept fault or, or to understand why you've made the moves you have or why mm. you haven't, you know, let them have another drink or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. It's it's diffusing their, their, like, idea of how they get their way. It's like mm. if you have a dog that misbehaves, like, if you mistreat it as a response the dog's mm. just going to reinforce that behavior yeah. and I'm not to you know not to say that humans are like dogs right, of but course. it's the same it's the same idea it's mm-hmm. like if if they're doing a pattern of behavior that they're expecting a certain result and they're doing that pattern of behavior in order to achieve a certain result to get their way mm. if you just do nothing they don't know what to do with themselves they right. start looking at who else to yell at and there's no one else to yell at. Yeah. And so in the hospitality industry, they arc up and, again, you just kill them with kindness and you just let it sort of roll off you. And if they mm. want to go talk to your manager, yeah, go. That's that's my manager here. He's a lovely mm-hmm. bloke. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll look after you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I haven't been able to, to address your mm-hmm. your hopes and your desires. And and they don't know what to do because they're, they're ready to get under your skin. They want to get under your skin. Yeah. And the thing I tell myself is you're better than that. Like if you, if you mm. let yourself be riled up by this person yeah then you're basically showing that that person's opinion of you matters at all to mm. you and your own okay. self-perception yeah and mm. if you tell yourself like i know that person's wrong i know i'm not in the wrong i don't need to prove it to that person right mm-hmm. that person's waiting for me to respond they're yeah. waiting for me to arc up or try and defend myself or or play into the back and forth and that's how they thrive and you just go no nah, not playing the game mm. Yeah. Just, just it's it's hard as a student because you kind of have to respond. But yeah. just like you did with the student you had to deal with, mm-hmm. you just you just give them the facts. Here, here's the facts. I'm sorry you're upset about this. The marking rubric's pretty clear. Yeah. I marked you just as fairly as I did everyone else. If you have any specific questions about where you went wrong, mm-hmm. come and see me. I'd be happy to chat through it. Yeah. And people then just don't know what to do with themselves because mm-hmm. if they're just being nasty because they want to be nasty, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they won't respond. Right. If they're generally just upset and they are just the sort of person where emotion tends to impact the way they communicate, but they're actually not that malintent, mm-hmm. then you, those people come through and they're the ones who be like, okay, yes, oh, I wanted to know about this and, and I got this wrong. Can you explain that to yeah. me? Yeah. And I think with, with Karens in the, in the bar, it's the same deal. Like mm-hmm. They get pissed off and they're ready to fight and then you yeah. go, what is it you actually want? And then a lot of the times they'll be like, oh, I just want, I want this. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, here's some options. What do you think? Yeah. And you sort of, and you almost de-escalate their aggression by teaching them that the escalation response is not correct, and that's not how you're going to get mm. your way with me. If you want to get your way with me, mm-hmm. you got to come to my level, be calm, be a reasonable person. Yeah. If you don't, I don't have time for you. Yeah. And I think people will respond to that if you are consistent 
and you don't let them get under your skin. But there's mm. just some there's some situations where you can't help but yeah. have people get under your skin because you're human. And yeah. some people are really good at it. And sometimes people are a bit narcissistic and they're they're pretty good at, mm. at making you upset. And they'll they'll try. Mm-hmm. And my only advice is just just don't don't engage because that's what they're looking for. That's mm. exactly what they want from you. Yeah. I, I would say my to just be different because my two pieces my first two pieces of advice are don't react and then mm-hmm. kill them with kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think beyond that, I think it's really important. You know, we talked about this with the Invisible Disabilities podcast episode. But like, take stock of yourself and make sure that you're safe first. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you know you aren't in a space to react properly, or you feel like you're in danger. You know, if you have certain, you know, who you are ties into how you react with the world and how people react with you. So if you are in an unsafe situation for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I think having the ability to step away from the situation is really the best thing that you could possibly do. Yeah. And that's where I think having good support system, good management really comes into play. Mm-hmm. So like having people that would email me about their marks or whatever I would yeah. just forward that to the professor mm-hmm. and say like look this is what I've got mm-hmm. and then they'll like you know Australian professors they're always like so casual like oh just call me call me John call me Sue you yeah. know like whatever and then like when they reply to those like Karen emails they're like professor Westminster <laughs> like they, they like yeah exactly. always prof- they use they the put full their title full, yeah, yeah exactly fantastic. that's when you know a professor in Australia is like laying down the law yeah um so yeah having those support networks of the of the management i think is really key mm-hmm. um, because there are situations when you do have to step away for whatever yeah. reason i love to end on that note i think you both have some really excellent advice because while yeah i, I think we you know colloquialize and, and try to make light of the situation of like you know there's this Karen or whatever sometimes you you do go home and you're like oh shit I've had a really like this human made me feel like shit mm-hmm. and I really like both of your advice where it's like don't engage kill them with kindness you know and and if you if you need extra help you seek it and hopefully you've got a really good backup system you've got a great manager you've got a great professor even I think a a friend system because even if maybe you you don't have the the best boss maybe you can talk with your colleagues or maybe you can talk with your friends and be like hey this is the situation I'm going through I just need you to listen I just need to listen to this really shitty situation that I've been put in by another human being and I think we need to remember that we are all human. We all have emotions. And while you may be having a bad day, another person could be having an even worse day. And unfortunately, they are taking it out on you. You do not deserve that. Um, and that person should seek other avenues to release their anger. Definitely. That should not be on a service person or should not be on their teacher or the lecturer or people who are just trying to help them. Thank you so much for listening to Convos and Karen's. We'll see you next time. Conversations with Cordates. Cool